0: In worship, um, obviously, we have live props today, so very exciting. Um, we are eventually going to throw one of these into the audience and see if you guys can catch it. Um, it's gonna be very, very exciting. Um, if you've been in church um, for a long time, you're probably going to catch the symbolism of what's going on here. There are two fish, and f- okay. For, for new people in church, they're like, what did I walk into? <laughs> There's an aquarium on the stage. Uh, this is going to be the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, and uh, we'll get into that in just a moment. But uh, we're going to take our last promise, which is we promise to pay the price for life change, and we're going to combine them in a new series called Priceless, and then that's going to carry us all the way through the Christmas season. And so it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, there's gonna be a lot of high inspiration and challenge. And so uh, this series is gonna be, uh, it's, gonna, it's gonna be the one our church needs right now. And so um, I wanted to go over those five promises that every Genesis Metronian is agreeing to. If you're wondering, like, if I'm gonna sign up for this church, like, what are they all about? What are they gonna expect out of me? Um, I think in all relationships, we need to have a fair understanding up front um, because every time someone gets married and did not understand what they were getting into, They get a little frustrated on the back end with the fine print, for better or, in sickness and in, in good times and in, see, see y'all know, right? you just didn't read the fine print, anyway, um, so I want everyone to always know what the expectation is up front, and by the way, we're not going to base these out of like what our church desires, these are all rooted in the first promise. Number one is we promise to preach the word. And why do we put that one first? I believe that one is first and foremost, okay? Because the the word is what has the power to transform your life. Jesus was the word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so God's word and Jesus simultaneous Uh, those are those are those are the same all right when god speaks that is jesus If, if jesus speaks that is god and so so whenever we say the power of the word why would we preach the word because if i got up here and just espoused my opinions okay my opinions can't transform your life you, you actually should not go to this church if I just preach my opinion. You shouldn't go to any church where a pastor just <laughs> speaks in platitudes and sometimes in today's culture self-help. Um, and and sometimes I don't even have a, a balanced view of God, right? Because we can preach the hard things. And, and if you come out of like a, a Baptist or a Church of Christ, uh, they're like sadomasochists. They believe like you have to preach till it hurts, right? And um, I used to have people walk out. Uh, and they were like, you know, preacher, you were stepping on my toes today. And they were almost like saying, like, hurt me more. And, um, and, you know, there is a part of God that is just, and we need to make sure that we preach that side. But He's also grace. And so you can't have so much grace that you don't have justice, and you can't have justice where you don't have grace. And so there has to be like that golden mean, Right where there's a balance. And so we promise that every Sunday we're going to preach God's word. And that every Sunday that you walk in here, there's a truth that is going to be transformative for every area of your life. Number two, we promise to love you more than you deserve. And we believe that Jesus, the Bible says, loved us while we were yet sinners. While we were at our worst, Jesus loved us. And so if Jesus loved us more than we deserve... We as Christians must reciprocate that and reflect that to a lost and dying world. So it's not that we love them for what they've earned. We love them more than they deserve. Third promise: we love. Uh, sorry, we love. We promise to do anything and everything to save lost souls. We promise to do anything and everything to save lost souls. If we got to go out and catch some bass and put them in a tank, we are willing to be creative. This, on the other hand, was so much simpler. Like we just bought some loaves, you know. I would love to say that we baked these ourselves, but in today's age, no. And so anyway, uh, we want to use creativity to represent the gospel and sometimes creative. Things cost us money. or Sometimes it costs us time to build those things. But we will use fun and attractional things as an opportunity to preach the word. We might use a movie clip. We might use a secular song. Who knows what we might do. But anything short of sin, Genesis Metro is willing to do to save a soul. A basketball coach led me to Christ. I was raised in an atheist household. I was raised an atheist. And he won me with basketball and a pizza party, okay? So you think, I'm not going to use pizza to bribe children. It works. It's a generational thing, all right? Never dies. Pizza, they will come, right? Um, so we will do anything and everything to save lost souls. Number four was last week. We want to be and promise to be a community that you can count on, right? Don't, when you're looking for a church, you want to know, like, if I get in and I put myself out there, if you will, are they going to show up? And Genesis Metro wants to be the church that if you walked in, and this was your first time, you walked in at the 11 o'clock service, and you walked out, and something happened, God forbid, you know, there was an accident, there was a loss, there was whatever it was, you could text, email, whatever. Now, I'm going to say if you call, it's going to take a little bit longer, but if you text or email, info at GenesisMetro.org, within minutes, Someone is going to respond and someone is going to meet that need. Wouldn't that be incredible that you were in a church that cared? That they don't even know you yet, but they care about what happens to your family. They'll pray for you. They'll meet your needs. They'll show up at a hospital. They'll show up at 2 a.m. when everything has gone terribly wrong. I mean, that's the kind of church we want. We want people that are going to care for us and going to show up for us. And what we said was... If we are going to want that type of community that cares like that, then the reciprocal has to be true. Then we have to be the community that cares like that. And so we have to organize our lives in such a way that if... It comes to it, we're willing to sacrifice to help my brother or sister in Christ. And that brings us to our last one, that we promise to pay the price for life change. I would love to sell you a Christianity that costs you nothing, but I cannot. I cannot. I don't have that on my repertoire today. And so today I'm going to be sharing a story of Jesus and he's going to feed 5,000 people, but there's going to be some conflict with the disciples. And I think that today we're going to portray ourselves in the disciples' shoes, and I think it's going to be very easy for us to understand. Um, Before I really get cooking, though, I want you to know that a couple of years ago, I used fish, I used a goldfish in an illustration, and it went, I mean, I've never had an illustration go so bad, right? Right? So we, we have a generation that we're raising, and I, I miscalculated, okay? So the, the illustration was I took a fish out of a fish bowl, and it was a big old goldfish. I don't even know what those are, but it was a koi, a koi. And, um, and I put it um, out of the fishbowl into a container that had a little bit of water, like a little laced water on the bottom. Now... The truth of the matter was that a koi's gills are touching that water. They are safe. But apparently, (laughs) where I miscalculated was that I thought pets, you know, our feelings about pets are like dogs and cats, you know. Um, That translated to this goldfish, and people started yelling out from the audience, right? This was to the teenagers on Wednesday. Put it back! Put it back in the bowl! And, and they thought I was torturing this poor goldfish, and I didn't realize I was raised in an age that you could just, like, throw a fish on the side of the bank and just keep walking. I mean, we just, we just killed snakes, and we didn't even think about it, right? And, and now this fish has feelings, right? And to, Today, I, I don't know. One day we'll get to where I think bread has feelings, where you can't eat it, and we're raising you know, a generation like, you know oh, don't kill a fish. But anyway, my grander point that was completely lost on this crowd was that while this fish was flopping around, they were worried about this fish, right? But their friends that are flopping around at school without a God, without purpose, without light, without hope, they care more about the flopping fish than they do about their friends. Now, that was a great sermon illustration, man. Did not hit at all. I had senior girls. That's like 17 that were crying in their small group. Did you see what he was doing? That ish. Took me back, man. I, didn't, I wasn't ready for that, right? So today, the fish will stay in the aquarium. Fear not, fear not, Gen Z, fear not. (laughs) Now I will preach. (laughs) Mark six, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done, okay, and and taught. So they had gone out; they'd been sent to minister, all right. And so they were teaching and they were sharing, they were helping people. Then, because so many people were coming and going. They did not even have a chance to eat. So many people. So many people. We didn't even have time. There were so many people to minister to. Just like I saw our ushers putting out chairs. I don't know if y'all turn around. Like You see like all the way to the back, right? There's people sitting in here. That, so many people. So many people. They didn't have time for themselves to sit down. Anyway, um, love the ushers. Can we give the ushers a round of applause? usher's going to ush, you know. Um, And so it says that they didn't even have time to eat. And he said to them, um, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. Wouldn't everybody love a quiet place? Does anybody need a little bit more time in a quiet place? He said, come away with me to a quiet place and get some rest. Does anybody, does that sound good by show of hands? Does that sound good to anybody? Just I just need some quiet. Please, Tim, give me some quiet and let me have some, some rest. For anybody that has small children, they can go and they can play for hours. And you're over there doing all the things and the moment that you try to get comfortable. Anybody? The moment you're like, know, I'm just going to take a quick cat nap. I'm just, gonna... Mommy, mommy, dad, Mommy, dad, mom, dad, mom. The Wi-Fi's out. <laughs> okay, so... That was my impression of parenting small children especially. Anyway, it says that Jesus saw them and was like, let's go away. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Point number one, Jesus notices when we have hit the wall, right? Now, this seems like on its face a very simple thing, right? But you got to remember context. He's... He's God, right? So, you imagine he's like being God, and how easy it would be for him to have high expectations. Like, I mean, I'm doing it. I don't know if you've ever like worked out with someone who's like the workout person. You know, they're like, "Come on, come on, one more rep. Come on, two more. Come on, three. more. Come on, you got to <laughs> I can't do it. I just can't. And so he's God. Can you imagine, like, if? Jesus was your workout trainer. He's like, come on, I can do it. Can't you do it? You know, like, no, I'm not. I'm not Jesus. I can't do it. And yet, even though he's God, he seems to have this awareness. And he's like, I I see you. I see you. I I know you've been out there. And they were tired for a good reason, right? We can even say they were tired for a God reason. It says that they had gone out and they would ministered. You know, some of you might show up here on a Sunday morning and you're tired, but you're not tired for a God reason. (laughs) You're tired because you you stayed out too late, maybe you drank too much, you know, whatever it might be. But you're not tired from, you serve so many people for the Lord, you know, and so we want to be a good type of tired. And it's a good type of tired, it's a God type of tired when you've given yourself for Christ to other people, meeting their needs in the name of God. Of Jesus, That's a a good tired. And yet God sees them and he acknowledges that as we serve in the kingdom, as we do all of these things that we're called to do, to be a good husband, to be a good wife, to be a good father, to be a good boss, to be a good employee, to be a good teacher, to be a good student. I mean, it goes on and on. And to do the right thing is much more difficult. It's much more taxing than it is to do the wrong thing. And so he acknowledges it. He takes the time and he sees it. He says, hey, I get it. You're weary, you're tired, and you haven't eaten. And there is not one person in here that is nicer when you haven't eaten. And the church said, like, you, you don't get nicer. You don't, you're not getting more patient. You don't get more like, oh, I get it. No dinner again tonight. Oh, that sounds great. Just make a sandwich. Does anybody have like the passive aggressive sandwich guilt? Anybody else do that? I do that. I do it. And then sometimes you're out of bread. You've resigned to the sandwich. And then you open the pantry and there's no bread. Does this sound like maybe it happened recently? Because it did. So I just eat turkey by itself (laughs) and some cheese and some crackers. Yeah, Yeah, that's my wife. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Sounds like a meal. And I don't want to belittle this because I want you to know there is some time that you have to take to get away. And Jesus is saying that. Take some time to get away. Take some time to invest. If you're a, a marriage that goes 90 miles an hour all the time, it's just a matter of time before it gets you. If you're a person who pushes your team and your employees all the time and never takes time to acknowledge them, never takes time to see that they're hitting the wall, then I promise you, that more that you're asking is gonna become less as a result of your lack of awareness. And so you gotta see it in other people, and then you gotta acknowledge it, and then you gotta make a plan. Let's have some time to have some fun, to refresh, to, to go away, to get away, to take a day off, to focus, have some solitude, quiet the mind. Because some of you 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 bury yourself in the horizontal relationships and the busyness of that and you never take time to get quiet for that vertical relationship and how are you ever going to grow? How are you ever going to get better if your mind is never still enough to acknowledge, hey, there's some areas I need to work on. Jesus says, I see you. I see you where I see it. Let's go. So he's like, let's get on a boat. Now, at this point, the disciples are like, we're getting on a boat with Jesus, right? Like, Good times are ahead, right? We're going to go away and have, like, maybe a massage. Maybe there's going to be some meals, you know. um, It's just going to be a great vacay, right? And then this is what happens. It says in verse 33, By this time, I'm sorry, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot, from all the towns and got there ahead of them when Jesus landed and saw the crowd he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd so he began teaching them many things point number 2 what do we do when what they need is in opposition to what we need what do we do what do we do now just to give you all some frame of reference, Little Elm Ramp is about seven miles away, all right? And you could put it Little at Little Elm Ramp. And this would be. This would be for for our parallel purposes. Imagine that I was down there and I had some of my disciples with me. You know, Ben, our CFO, you know, he's the bearded guy. You know, like, we're getting into a boat. And maybe Paul Galata. he's one of our longtime elders, has been here for like 17 years. He was shredding on the guitar over here. He's the guy that rocks out. And by the way, he may or may not have been in a rock band and may or may not have hung out with Motley Crue and L.A. dive bars. Whatever. Ask him about it. He'll tell you. Okay. And now he's an elder and went to Southwestern. I love Jesus that he makes that happen. You know, Motley Crue, Jesus, anyway, Baptist, anyway. So, so imagine that me and Paul and and Ben were boarding my boat and there were some people at the ramp and they're like, Hey, that's PT. That's PT. He's down there. He's the pastor of Genesis Metro and there's good things going on at Genesis Metro. That's Ben. And that's Paul. And like, you know what? I see where they're going. They're heading across Lake Louisville, and and they're like, you know, we are so excited about this. We are now going to run around Lake Louisville. I want you to imagine that. Like, we're going to run down through the colony, and when you hit that little bridge, it starts to smell. Y'all know it does. And I'm not bagging on the people of the colony, but that in-between Little Elm and the colony, it has a... Preach. Am I telling the truth? And it starts to stink, and so then you gotta, you're gotta you running through that, the haze, and you get on 121, and now you're down 121, then you're up north on 35, and now we're getting across there to the ramp that's at Arrowhead Park over there, and you've gone about 30 miles, okay? And you're like, all right, whew, we're here. And imagine, like, the dismay on the apostle's face, like, wait a minute, did you just, like, yeah, And they brought Cousin Larry and all their family. I mean, I love every person in this room. But I would not run to meet you to the other side. I just wouldn't. I'd be like, I'm going to stay here. And then I'm hoping the boat comes back, right? (laughs) Think about it for a moment. They wanted to meet Jesus that bad. They had family members that were hurting that bad. In a, a synoptic accounts, which are the other gospels' accounts of this same story, Jesus actually began healing while he was teaching, and so they wanted to run with their family. They wanted to go pick somebody up along the way because they knew where he was headed. Because they knew if they could get them to Jesus, that Jesus would change their lives forever. And the church said, "Amen." The run is worth it if you ever got to Jesus. Right when he saved you from your sins, the run was worth it, man. When he put. Your your marriage back together, that run was worth it. Man, when he put your finances back together and made the deal happen that seemed like it was dead, that run was worth it. I'm here to remind you, right, that sometimes, whew, it says that Jesus saw the crowd and he had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What did you look like? Before you met Jesus, what did you look like? From God's perspective, you were lost. You were guilty. You were on your way to an eternity separate from God. You were hopeless and you were helpless. So when he sees the crowd, he has compassion. Now here are the disciples, right? It says that they were tired and they were weary. And so what do you do when you're tired and you're weary and a worship opportunity arises? Jesus gives us the model. Jesus sets the precedent, right? He says that our comfort must submit to the compassion for that crowd. And so... I have to say, can I push? Can I push? I know that I am tired, but can I push because I have compassion on the crowd? Because I see where they're at. And hopefully, if you see them correctly, it reminds you of you when you were on the other side. When you were the crowd that needed compassion. You see, if I understand the eternal value of a soul... The eternal value of a soul is worth more than my temporary tired. The eternal value of a soul is worth more than my temporary hunger. The value of a soul is worth my temporary loss of sleep. Because if I push a little harder, then I can win one more soul. That soul is changed forever. But my hunger will be satisfied tomorrow. So which is greater for you, your comfort or your compassion for others? I think in today's society, wouldn't you agree that we are preached a self-centered gospel where the goal is our comfort and our compassion for others we see as a luxury, we see as an amenity if I have time for it. Jesus sets this precedent. Number three on the list, the people are the prize. The people are the prize. Do you know what our role is as the church? We are the process, right? The prize. You, at Genesis Metro, when your family walked in, you are our prize. You want to know the trophy that we hold up above our heads? It's not the Big 12 championship. It's not the SEC championship, which who knows what's going to happen there, you know? I think that Texas should get in because they beat Alabama, right? Everybody agree? I think so, yeah. Florida State's undefeated, Washington's undefeated. I'm not going to go into all this right now, but I'm just saying... Texas deserves to be in there. Anyway, I'm not even a Longhorn fan, I'm a Sooner fan. And I'm saying that's how you know I love Jesus, okay? (laughs) So Jesus sets the precedent that the people are the prize. So whenever you think about people walking through these doors... I want you to know that every single family, we see you as the prize. We see you as someone who is in need of Jesus, who is in need of community, who is in need of the truth, who is in need of understanding that souls being saved is worth any price being paid. And so, as you are walking in this building, I want you to know that we loved you before you ever walked through the door. We prayed for you before you ever walked through the door, that when you walk in here, you see something and you sit something different and that's because we actually care in the name of Jesus and so what I want you to see is that you are the prize and you have to start to see people as the prize the prize is not more for you the prize is not how much bigger can I build it the prize is the people the people you work with the people you live with the people that live around you those are the prize and we are the process. Surely. Right? Surely the process can't fail the prize. The process can't decide, I'm too tired today. Right? Imagine that the guy that was in the parking lot today that smiled at you and waved at you. Imagine he said, you know what? The prize wasn't worth it. Imagine the guy that put your chair out today. He said the prize wasn't worth it. Imagine the person sitting over in the daycare, daycare, children's ministry, whatever you want to call it. Imagine that today they said that it wasn't worth it. And for some parents in here, if you have small children, let's be honest. You love those people over there in that building, don't you? You love them. You love Hey, man, two hours so that you can focus on God's word and have that little bit of time of sanity. And the church said, amen. Some of you even go to two services. You're like, yes, we want a double portion, Tim, but you really want two hours away, right? I get it. We're cool with it. But I hope you'll never forget that you're called to be part of the process. You're not not called to sit on the sidelines. No disciple that has ever followed Christ was ever called to sit on the sidelines. You're called to engage in the process. And when you engage in the process, that allows us to win more of the prize. You know, I stand here today and I have three sons. Two of them are already in the ministry. One leads worship, one preaches to the students on Wednesdays, and the other one serves the Lord and even leads devotionals at the Jesus Love You Club at Lone Star. I was raised an atheist. I was raised unchurched. i would never been to church a day in my life. I met the Lord outside of church. Now, in order for my family to break the curse of no generations that ever, as far as I know, went to church, do you think I did that on my own? Or do you think that every small group leader that poured into my kid, every nursery worker that gave them a devotional, that did extreme camp, crazy dances in the summer, and sprinkled in the gospel, this whole church helped me break the curse of godless people living godless lives. Do you think that's not worth it? course it is that's the prize i get to hold those up i'd say that satan didn't get those don't you want that for your family don't you want that for someone else's family see we're the process and they're the prize and the process has to decide every time when it comes to my weariness versus my worship opportunity to invest in someone else I'm going to choose the worship opportunity over my own weariness. And that's not from me. That's straight from Jesus. Now let's go on. By this time, it was late in the day, and so his disciples came to him, and they said, uh, Jesus, this is a remote place. Now before I get into the rest of it, and I know you see it on the screen, have you ever started like setting up the story? Has anybody ever... Ever done this? Like, you know, you know it's like uh, you're going to set the tone. Like, uh, my children used to try to bribe my wife with compliments, and she's a very nice person, so she did not pick up a lot of times. They're like, Mom, you look good today. Did you, did you change your hair? What did you Your makeup looks great. And she'd be like, Oh, thank you so much. And I'm like, They want something. They're just setting you up, it's flattery. It's flattery. Sometimes people are setting you up, and the disciples. I promise you, this is loaded. This is loaded. They see the sun is getting low, and they're like, uh, "Hey, Jesus, you know, this is a this is a remote place, and uh, it's already it's already very late." So, if you went up there to verse thirty-five, put thirty-five back up there. Is it up there? You see, it was late. And then when it got to their version of it, what was it? It was very late, right? It was, it's not just late anymore now, it's very late. And they said, their solution, their solution. This is the church. This is the process. See if you can see that there's a disconnect between them seeing the prize and remembering the other process. See if you see it. See if you see it. See if you feel it. What did they say? Send the people away. Send the people away. The people that ran across the colony up through Louisville, down the 35 bridge in seven lanes of traffic, just to get to the other side to hear a conversation with Jesus, right? Send those people away. So they can go in the surrounding countryside and the villages and buy themselves something to eat. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Did you did you hear that last part? What was that about? What was that about? What was that? So they could buy themselves. What what, why'd they throw that in there? They're just concerned that they don't have a place to stay. Why'd they throw in there that what's that? Oh, oh, is that what's that? What's that? If they stayed around, it was gonna what? gonna cost them something. Right? You know, so if we just send them home a little early, we don't have to worry about paying for anything. Hmm. Verse 37. But he answered. I love this Jesus. This is direct in your face, Jesus, right? You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them? Mm, 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 mm. Reason versus resources. Reason and resources said, send them away. Send them away. Whenever you're using your reason, you'll say, send them away. Now listen to this. Listen to this. Any, do I have any accountants in the room? Raise your hand if you're an accountant. Several. If you're the accountant in your family, like you do the bills, raise your hand. All right. Good. If you're the one that doesn't do the bills, raise your hand. Yes. These are eternal forces locked in a struggle in a battle. If you have two savers, guess what? You're not having any fun. If you have two spinners, guess what? It's just a matter of time. (laughs) Every CFO, every accountant, person, in any organization has said this to the CEO, okay? Uh, Listen, I know what you're wanting to do here, okay? I I hear what you're saying, and I appreciate the grandiosity of the vision that you have espoused so eloquently. (laughs) However, are you suggesting that we spend more than half a year's wages? Are you wanting to spend this money frivolously? On bread so that these people could eat why't why can't they just why can't they just fend, why can't they just do it themselves? man, oh gosh, am I going to pre like it's coming like the hammer is coming just so you know I'm just prepping you for it. They said it's not a good location they said, how we don't have enough we don't have enough how how how, how? Preacher man, how do you want us to do this? And whenever we think about in this remote place, they're talking about scarcity. They say limited resources, you know, a year's, half a year's wages. That's talking about the power, right? They don't have the power to pull it off. And then we think about the day that they just had. Have you ever, have you ever had a day where you're like, not today? Like you get home and someone starts in and you're like, not today. Like, you don't understand, the day I had, not today. You ever gone into work, and the first person that walks in your office, they like, they like try to unload, and you're like, not today. Not today, Karen, not today. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? And, and the disciples, you know, like, they haven't eaten Still. They haven't eaten. They've been on a boat ride. They've been out doing the work of the gospel. And now they're tired and they're hungry. And all they want was what Jesus promised. And that was a vacation on a boat with quiet and solitude. And some of you are schedule keepers. And you're like, we are not following the established plan. And I have a problem. Does anybody else love a good schedule? I love a good schedule. As a matter of fact, to me, when we make an appointment, it is gospel. It's gospel. Like if you say 3 o'clock and I say yes, that is in stone. It's in stone. And when people change my schedule, do you know know what that's like? That is tantamount to sacrilege. That is like you saying you don't believe in God. All right? (laughs) you understand me? You make an appointment with me, guess what? You don't show up, I'm like, heretic. (laughs) They clearly don't love Jesus. (laughs) I know it sounds like I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) My wife is a very spontaneous person. I remember like, she would say, Hey, why don't we just go tonight? Something's happening. (laughs) I feel like we gotta research it. We gotta get three price options. Then we gotta study the market trend for at least six months. Then maybe we pull the trigger. Can I get an amen from all the people? Yes! Praise Jesus. You're the ones I'm preaching to today. I know who I'm talking to. I'm talking to the person making the financial decisions. All those, you know, other people, they can just sit on the sidelines a day. All right. After the day we've had Jesus, this is what you're going to ask me to do. Speaks to energy. So we got scarcity, we got a lack of power, and we don't even have the energy to pull it off. So, what do we do when reason and resources say, send them away? Send them away. Can I remember, can I remind you of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20? The Apostle Paul was writing this. He said, now unto Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than I could even ask or imagine, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Tell me you don't have enough. Tell me you don't have enough. And I will say, you're praying to the wrong God. If you'd go to the God who has exceedingly, abundantly, more than you could ever ask or imagine, you'd never get to the place that scarcity, power, or energy were the excuse to sit it out. And I'll close. But he answered, you give them something to eat. Verse 38, how many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, we got five. And? Bonus, we got two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And By the way, I just love that the Bible includes little tidbits like that. I imagine it's a nice Bermuda, you know. It's soft, like a putting green. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up into heaven. Jesus gave thanks, and he broke it. Mm. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were, say it together. Mm. And you know, some of you, you eat more than others. You ever try to take a food? (laughs) I'm not going to say it. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten were 5,000, plus women and children. So easily 15,000 people. Last point, we have enough. We have enough. We have enough. You say, Tim, I don't feel like... That. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Um, in your hands, in your hands you have enough for a day. That's what they had. They had enough for the boy who gave it. They had enough for a day. But in his hands, they had enough for everyone. The question I'm going to pose to you is, whose hands do you want your fate in? Whose hands do you want your fate in? Because it can't be in your hands and in his hands at the same time. You see, it it took someone giving all that they had left in order to unlock the blessing that Christ put on it. And that's what unlocked the abundance that was given. So if I keep for myself, because you know, you know, you know, if you've ever been around a group of hungry people and you're the only one that has some food, what are they going to say? What are they, they going to, like, oh, can, can, I, can, I, can I have some of that? Can I have some of that? And this is the way a lot of Christians are. You know what? You're like, no, what, what are you talking about? Like, I got, you got what? Did you not bring your own? Did you, did you not bring your own grace? Did you not bring your own mercy? Did you not bring your own forgiveness? No, 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 this is mine. This is mine. I was prepared, and so I have what I need. Wouldn't it be terrible if the church said, send them away, because we don't have enough? When we have a God that is enough, and whatever we put in His hands, guess what He does? He expands whatever we put in His hands, and then He gives it back, and He gives back the same, but better. He gives back the same, but different. He gives back the same, but it lasts longer. He gives back the same, but it goes further. Do you understand whose hands is it in? If we let Him bless what we give, He gives it back, but it's better. Church, you can't get better than that. I'm just wondering who has the five loaves and the two fish that's going to unlock the abundance of the next season of Genesis Metro Church. What I'm trying to say is we have enough. We have enough to do all that we can. With all the people walking in the room, I have compassion. I see the souls. I see the need. And now all we have to do is let our feet walk and let our hands give with the the obedience. Because... I got two things. The heart of God is moved by the need. That was the compassion. The hand of God is moved by the sacrifice. That's our part. If we put our sacrifice on the altar, man, the hand of God moves. If we hold it for ourselves, we'll eat for a day. But the souls that walk through here, they get lost forever. The souls that are on the outside that have yet to come, they get lost forever. I know what I want to be about. I want to be about the next. And I'm willing to give all of it. And I've given all of it, and I will give all of it. You see, the stone is just a stone. But whenever David puts it in the slingshot and he lets it go, whose hands? Whose hands do you think guides the stone? You want to bring down the giant? You can't keep it. you got your stones in your pocket, bro. Whenever Abraham walks his boy up the hill, puts him on the altar, whose hands does he put the fate in? God's. What does God produce? The gospel. Jesus is the product of Abraham's sacrifice. Whenever Moses stands at the Red Sea and he puts the nation's fate in God's hands, what does he do? He makes a way. I don't know if you need to bring down a giant. I don't know if you need God to part the sea. Man, I don't know what it is you need today, but I know that if you would give it to God and put it in his hands, now it's going to hurt because he's going to break it. You're going to put your heart in his hands. He's going to break it. That's humility. You're going to put your trust in his hands and he's going to break it. But then he's going to bless it. And he's going to multiply it. And he's going to hand it back to you. When you got saved and accepted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, what did you do? You said at some point, I give up. I can't. I'm not enough. And you said, here it is, God, and you gave it to Jesus. And guess what he did? He broke it. He blessed it. And then he handed it back to you better than it was before. And enough, enough now. Enough for a marriage. Enough for your children. Enough for your finances. Enough to get to the next place in life. He broke it. He blessed it. He gave it back. He gave it back better. And he gave it back with you to have enough, not just for you, but for everyone around you. Now, what are you going to do? With what he blessed you with. Boy, I hope that you'll say, man, put it back in. Put it back in. Because the next soul is worth it. Let's pray. Father, we ask. In the name of Jesus, God, bless the fish. God, bless the bread. God, I'm praying for the people that already have it. What I love about this illustration is that Jesus reduced himself and restricted himself to the obedience of a little boy, of a little teenager that said, you know what, I'm willing to give. I'm willing to give up so that other people can have. Yeah, I'm willing to do that. Man, you know how helpless it feels waiting for five loaves and two fish? I know that we have some disciples in here. You're like, there's no way this math doesn't work. How can less be more? Sorry, right now your life feels like where they were at. They were in a remote place. Desolate. Lack of resources. Looking for Jesus. You say, Preacher, I'm willing to do whatever you say. I'm willing to run as far as you say to run if you're saying that there's an answer. You know what, today? Let's do this we'll open up the altar. If you wanna put something on the altar today through prayer, through worship, we'll open this opportunity up. I'm gonna ask the staff and the elders, they're gonna be down here. And if you want someone to pray for you, pray over you. I'm gonna ask them to go ahead and come. We haven't done this in a long time, but today's the day. Yeah, go ahead, stand up and come. All my staff and all my elders. If I was preaching to you today, would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, that sermon was for me. Yeah. Yeah, let's make some changes today. God, in the name of Jesus, would you guys stand and worship with us?